Good morning! This is Jonathan Frakes, Will Breaker from Star Trek TNG, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for April 10th, 2018. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hassenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. The best way to find more information is to call up your buddy who is an author, who is a best-selling author, whose movie is coming soon. Hey, Tal Klein, how's it going? Hey, guys. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, that's awesome. Thank Good you for joining morning. us. Yeah, there, you <laughs> there you go. Thank you for joining us. We we are so excited to talk to you again. You are so much fun to talk to, and you have so much to, to tell us, especially in in light of your current lifestyle with your book, The Punch Escrow. Yeah, well, I saw you guys were chatting about uh, Ready Player One, and, and so I, I always like the way you two interact because I think you always treat... All, all forms of art, whether you actually like them or not, with a lot of respect. And I saw that, I, I noticed that, and I also have been seeing a lot of discussion about, you know, Ready Player One, so I, I really, uh, I'm grateful actually for you letting me on uh, the podcast, because I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> and most of them are in English, but you've got the Hungarian version of the Punch Escrow coming out soon, and you're going on tour, you're going to Hungary. Yes, uh, both the Hungarian and German versions are coming out the uh i'm not gonna even try to pronounce the german version but okay. they it's uh, uh it's called the the translation is the twin effect and the hungarian version is just called portal nice so uh, do you want me to teach you some hungarian from when i was five and i learned my first hungarian words absolutely go ahead as <laughs> okay. long as you're not curse words so yes is egan and no wow. is nem Nem and Egan got me really far when I was five and my grandparents were teach me, teaching me Hungarian. You can <laughs> get pretty far with that. Chakakichit is only a little bit because you're going to need that in Eastern Europe. They're going to try to feed you. So Chakakichit. Chakakichit just a little bit. I'm actually lucky because my mom uh, speaks Hungarian and she's meeting me out there. So oh, uh, awesome. yeah, I've, got a po- I've got a posse. Excellent. All right, so let's get down to this movie, Ready Player One. Let's start off by asking Steve where he got to see it, um, because I I know we were down in Indiana. Yeah, we were down in Indianapolis for Indiana Comic Con when this opened, and so I went to a theater in suburban Indianapolis and saw this with a a room full of people that really enjoyed this movie. I Okay, I shouted out loud at least three times at the big reveal in the middle of this movie. So we're going to come back to that. Tal, it sounds like you got to see this more than once. I saw it twice on opening weekend. Uh, I wanted to, uh, The first time I saw it, uh, I went to see it by myself because I really didn't want anybody else's opinion. <laughs> uh, um, and I just wanted to kind of really absorb uh, absorb the movie. And then the second time, I went to see it with my wife a day later. Uh, and both times, the theater was packed. I went to see it in, in uh, downtown uh, Birmingham, Michigan, which is you know where I live. And, and both times, the theater was packed. And what I, what surprised me is not only was the theater packed, but the the chatter among the the people attending, I noticed was a lot of people just talking about video games, and and people were very you know I feel like this. We'll get to this later, I'm sure, but I feel like this movie really appealed to the video game playing community. Now, you got to see it also with your wife, who had not read the book. 
tell me a little bit about her experience seeing it um, just on, on, as the top of that. My wife is, uh, yeah, so she had not read the book, uh, and she's a big Spielberg fan. She loves uh, she loves Spielberg films. Uh, and she she felt at the end of the movie that it was very much a classic, a, you know, a classic Spielberg movie. Um, you know, it, it kind of touches on, touched on a lot of his traditional narrative arcs. And she really enjoyed it. I mean, she, when we saw it, uh, the, the audience had given it a standing ovation. She did not rise to the standing ovation. She made seated, but she really, she truly enjoyed it. How about right. you, Chip? I got to see it in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I saw it in a theater that most likely was not the theater that this would have appealed to. And, and, and it reflected that. I was, I was Friday night. We were like the 715 show. Mm-hmm. It was empty. There was there were people in there, but certainly not very many. Wow! Um, I saw it with a 16 year old, and I saw it with her mom, and they ate it up. They went on the experience. They really enjoyed this film. I'm a little more reserved on that, but we're gonna we're gonna explore all that because I think Tal hit it right there. It's very much a Spielberg movie, and I I like Spielberg. Yeah, we're going to probably get into spoilers on this conversation. So if you have not seen the movie Ready Player One, I would. First of all, recommend that you go see this movie. This is a good movie. If you like Spielberg, if you like video games, if you like going on an adventure, this is a good adventure movie. I I didn't love it, Chip. That's okay. I did not love this movie. We're we're going to we're going to get deeper into that. So let's let's go ahead and start uh, breaking down this movie just a little bit. All right. So the story of Ready Player One is the story of a an everyday kid who has. This this horrible life. Everything is horrible around him. Sort of a dystopian future. There are so many things wrong with this world. There's there's financial problems. There's all sorts of crime. And he lives in a stack of trailers. And so what you end up doing to escape that, in many ways, is you become an avatar and you join this virtual reality world. Right. That's where the story really kicks in. Because this is a Willy Wonka-style story where the owner of this amazing world has died and he has this contest that's set up so that somebody can take over this billion-dollar, trillion-dollar company and keep this oasis of life going with these people. That's that's a good place to start. So let's let's go ahead and break this down. Tal, tell us a little bit about your initial impressions of this movie. The movie is a celebration of of you know the Easter egg. So as long as we approach it from that perspective, you also mentioned uh, Willy Wonka, which I think is a, you know a perfect metaphor. I think mm-hmm. I think there there are people who who buy into the Willy Wonka thing and people who don't. But for me, you know, I knew what I was getting into because. Uh, what I wanted to, to see is this big Easter egg hunt that was sort of a life or death or, you know, f- for the fight of, you know, for the fight of the world. And, and you know, I, I actually loved the translation uh, and the adaptation of, of the story to film. I think they actually simplified a lot of things that were really too complex in the novel. And, and, um, and I think that, you know, as you said, they created, a, they created like your, you know, a Spielberg movie that appeals to gamers. And I think they did a great job. In fact, let's talk a little bit about that, because uh, as our, we prepped to this, you, you really said that, that this is a, appealing to the gaming community, maybe where the yes. World of Warcraft uh, did not. Well, there's so many video game movies that really don't appeal to the gaming community. The World of Warcraft movie is a great example of that. That should have been gold. This movie really seems to appeal to that group, right, Tal? You know, I don't think there's been a movie that... Maybe with the exception of Tron, 
you know, I don't think there's been a movie that, that really uh, has touched on all, like, kind of all my video game feels. <laughs> you know, uh, I think War Games was another one that really uh, it was very much, uh, you know, actually, I, I would place this on the same the same pedestal as sort of uh, War Games. I think that's, those two movies for me, uh, you know, probably fill the same the same space. And I really think that many video game movies, you mentioned Hardcore Henry, that's another mm-hmm. one that really tried to appeal to the video game community. I think that when you try to be too pedantic or even too literal, uh, that's when things fall apart. I think mm-hmm. that the, the value of, of integrating video games with real life is really when you sort of, uh, you sort of just start really getting a sense of, of how, how the two interact with each other. Because if you think about the notion that video games exist as some sort of escape or whatever, you, you need to show what the escape is from. And I think that creates context. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you try to if you try to create an entire world that only exists inside of a video game, you're missing that bit of real life context that makes it interesting. So let me ask you: Did you watch the new Jumanji movie? I did. So that has that same feeling of that context of why these kids would be trapped in this video game, very much Tron style. And and yes. that one appealed to me as a as a narrative person who enjoys this good storyline i'm not really a video gamer but the video game aspects of it worked because we saw who these people were before they entered this realm i will say that i was shocked at how much i liked jumanji i was too. uh i i really was ready to hate it i was i thought i was like i went to see it despite myself mm-hmm. uh and then and then i was just sh- i just loved it it was they did such a great job they you know i think that it was also the role reversal they did a great job of this you know you know, assigning the right role to the right person so they can see the world through the lenses of the other person's eyes. I agree. Uh, there's a lot of depth to it. I actually think I think Jumanji was exceptionally well done, and and you know, I think as a film, it probably works even better than Ready Player One. I will. I agree with that. I enjoyed Jumanji so much more than I enjoyed the Ready Player One movie. I was laughing out loud in the movie theater at the Jumanji movie. It was such a fun adventure on the level of a Spielberg. Adventure. This Spielberg adventure, Ready Player One, still is there. It has that adventure element, but there's something about the characters that I did you know not fall in love with. What is it, Tal? The one thing that I, I would say is missing from this movie that Spielberg, Spielberg traditionally captures mm-hmm. is the the innocence of the protagonist. You're right, and so, I don't know that we get that with Parzival uh, or Wade. You know, I, I think that, but by the way, like you know, to Spielberg's credit and Ernie Klein's credit, I mean, you know. I don't know that you, like in the book, he wasn't particularly innocent either, right? So we have a sort of, you know, uh, an imperfect protagonist. Uh, And so I think to go back and to make him innocent would have been a disservice to the novel. And I think the other part that we're missing is how the team gets together in Ready Player One. They just seem to be the super team all of a sudden for no (laughs) real reason in the movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, because the movie already runs long; it's a two hour and twenty minute movie. Right. So, the problem with any sort of movie where you've got a team is that traditionally you have to spend the first half of the movie building the team. You know, whether you're talking about the Italian job or you know, the Expendables or whatever. Any of like, them. yeah, script, you know, script writing one hundred and one. Well, the <laughs> Avengers. Think about the Avengers. The amount of time that they've dealt with who these characters are before they put them together as the Avengers has been fantastic. The problem is, is there's so much risk in sci-fi, especially after the sort of underperformance of, of things like Passengers and um, 
even Blade Runner, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I think that the desire to take risk is, is kind of low, meaning that I think Ready Player One could have easily been uh, a two-movie arc or a three, even a three-movie arc. In fact, that was uh, a question I was bringing out. Would this story be, have been better serviced by being like a Netflix film where you could have had seasons? Yeah. I would have done a series. I, I think I think easily you could have done a 10-episode arc uh, without even blinking an eye. Yeah, I think the structure that Ernie Klein presented in the book certainly lends itself to that. There's a key, then there's a gate, then there's a key, then there's a gate, then there's a key, then there's a gate. It seems episodic. And and for our listeners, Ernie Klein is writing Ready Player One 2. So there is another part of that coming Ready Player 2. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there is another, this story will continue. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I just think that, that in general, um, you know, there's a lot to get done. I, I think, again, Spielberg handled it masterfully in that I didn't walk away from the movie feeling cheated, especially because, I, again, I went into it as a fanboy, right? And I really, I was willing to for, to forgive a lot. And I didn't really have to forgive that much. Obviously, you know, Steve, I, apparently I had to forgive, you know, more, more than you did. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, I walked into it and I was like, well, you know, we... First of all, we haven't seen this kind of movie in a long time. This sort of, in fact, I can't even think of the last time we've seen a movie that really digested so much of you know of modern cult- culture uh, in uh, in a single capsule. Maybe Wayne's uh, World Two. <laughs> Wayne's World Two. It's like even you know, in sci-fi, maybe like jeez, um, oh, I, I don't well, even know. Are you watching but anyway, Future yeah. Man on Netflix? Future Man might Future be Man. that might <laughs> that might be the the, the answer the for now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think no, I get. I, look, I could totally see an episodic thing, but I could also totally mm-hmm. see the, the virtue of doing this as a feature. You know, look, if you want to get into like into the, the things that that, that bother me, like I, the things that bother me about this, are the same things that bother me about the book. Like, for example, but I, I'm a geek, like so. To me. Uh, you know, this book was written before we really understood the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. Right. Sure. So I don't, I don't think that anybody like there's, there's like scenes where people are running out, running around outside, like wearing their, uh, you know, wearing their glasses or whatever, and you're like, how did those people not get run over by a truck? <laughs> you know, it's like well, there's because, very few trucks. In fact, in fact, let me bring this up because uh, yeah. this is immediately what I thought when reading the book, and I also it's, it, it's a fair criticism of the movie too. The term Mary Sue is a person, um, usually directed at a female, but the idea is a person who immediately masters everything uh, and, and um, you know, they're the superstar of everything. The expert of experts. Yes. Yeah. Is, is that a fair criticism or do you feel that's a fair criticism of the, the, the book or, or, the, or of the, the movie? Well, this is where, I mean, we really have to focus on this, the spirit of the movie and not what we expect from a movie. What I mean by that is, you know, the movie... And the story is a celebration of the Easter egg and 80s video games uh, in general. And, you know, I grew up playing those games. And, and one of the things that I noticed is actually when you when you play any 80s video game or even even 90s video games, you know, the, the, the game's protagonist rarely has a very rich backstory. And in many ways, they are Mary Sue. You know, when, when uh, you know, Mario is a Mary Sue. Link is a Mary Sue. When you think about... Uh, even you know Duke Nukem is a Mary Sue. Like all sure. these people are, you know, the, the video game culture expects that if you're playing a, a single player game, that character can do anything and everything. And so if we apply that approach to the movie, of course it makes sense that Parzival is a Mary Sue, right? Because that's who plays 
That's that. That's who this movie's celebrating. And he becomes the expert on everything. The the first gate, but, and that makes sense though, because immediately when you are given the task, you may fail at that task initially. You're failing because you're the player, right? Playing the expert, right? So I, I, that makes a lot of sense. It, to me. it works out that way. That's that's good that Tal's here to explain that to you, since that was <laughs> that was your biggest criticism of the book. Was boy, he just knows everything instantly. But that makes well, sense. Think about- yeah, think about Mario in a, in a standard Mario arc. Like, you know, uh, he gets mushrooms. He gets he gets the ability to throw fireballs. He gets the ability to fly. You know, like so. The, the idea is to like the, the the development of the character of the protagonist is less about him maturing as a human being and is more about him gaining gaining Instant. powers. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So there we go. I like this movie better now. I'm glad we're discussing this. So. <laughs> I, again, I am not a gamer. I am a movie fan, and I got to tell you, the movie inside of Ready Player One was amazing. All right, so we should go ahead and spoil it? This, spoilers. This spoilers. Is a, this is the spoiler Spoilers. Bar. So Steven Spielberg has a love for a certain director, Steve. Stanley Kubrick made so many wonderful movies, The Shining being one of my favorites. And boy, that moment in Ready Player One when I was in a full movie theater and they walked into the hotel in The Shining, I literally shouted out loud in a full movie theater. <laughs> well, so they have to, yeah, so one of the Easter eggs is, is actually hidden um, in the hotel in The Shining. And uh, and so there, there's actually a, a movie within a movie because they have to basically play through The Shining, <laughs> which is just brilliant. It's just so smart. It's like, it's the funniest thing ever because, like, you know, The Shining is such a serious, serious movie, uh-huh. and um, and I loved again, big spoiler, big spoiler alert. But I loved that as they were playing through The Shining, like, you know, they then exposed even a third, you know, a, a third level of Inception, where now there were zombies inside of The Shining, right? You know, yes. doing yes. ballroom dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just brilliant. It I, was. It was. I was just like. I was floored. The cinematography, the the moment where they pan in, and we all right. know this room. We know this movie, even if we haven't seen it. And boy, did they play with this so well in Ready Player One. Yeah, I think that uh, you, you, I, I love that. That's the part that really, you know, I, mean, it was, I love that. Uh, for me, the Iron Giant was a huge. It's like one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. uh, and I love that they integrated the Iron Giant into it. Um, you a know, Spielberg a, property, so at least we got one Spielberg property in here. We didn't see an ET, we didn't see a Jaws, but at least we got Iron Giant in there. I was shocked that they didn't have the uh, ET bicycle as a vehicle. Seriously, how easy would shocked. it have been? <laughs> the Akira motorcycle is fine, but that's digging deep. You, you've got. I, I wish that there were some more of those shallow references in this movie. Yeah, I wanted to see... I didn't see any gremlins. Seems Um, like that would all be simple. Again, the intellectual property of all these things is not just tied to Steven Spielberg. It's tied to so many different people. We get the Robert Zemeckis cube, which was was a very interesting use of time travel. I like that. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Uh, (laughs) We even got... Did you notice we got Batman in the beginning? Yes. The climbing the mountain (laughs) with Batman. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That was that was a well done little moment. 
So uh, it really was a celebration of say that yeah. basically uh, my my childhood mm-hmm. uh, and those that era of pop culture. But it that's appeals. why I keep telling people like stop stop trying to find more in it. Like what like that's like saying stop trying to dig deeper into into the meaning or you know like this movie is a celebration of of you know of us of of, of the United States uh, you know video game culture. Uh, in the late seventies and eighties, and and you know, and let's enjoy that for what it is. I, I don't know that you, that everything has to dig deeper. Uh, and like I said, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but you know how this movie in particular is panned by many in the science in the science fiction community because they expect, you know, the, the people who who like you know celebrated and and shouted off the mountain from the mountaintops when Blade Runner came out about how much of an homage it was to to you know to classic science fiction. Um, you know, I don't, it, this is a different movie. It's a different movie. And, and I think its purpose is different. I think it's supposed to just make us be sentimental, uh, for a minute and remember how, you know, how we enjoyed life differently back then. Sure. Sure. Any final thoughts, uh, Steve, on how, how you thought about this movie? I like this movie very much. And I enjoy the fact that the punch escrow exists because Tal read Ready Player One and Andy Weir's The Martian and saw all of that science fiction and those snarky characters and created such a wonderful work from those. How about you, Tal? Any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I think it's a wonderful movie. I think it definitely has a place, uh, a really, a, a vault of place in, in Steven Spielberg's filmography. I think it's a movie that will age well. That's really my perspective here. I, I, I agree with that. I think it will age well because I think that people could watch it again and again. They'll, they'll pick up little parts to it. And the thing that you've worried about, Chip, in the past was the green screen, the use of green screen. Did the green screen bother you in this at all? It didn't bother me as much. Because uh, it was a video game. I think that's exactly mm-hmm. what it was. When, when I watched Black Panther, while I enjoyed it, uh, you can just tell that they're not on some warm area. It's, uh-huh. It just looks warm. And, uh, but that's the idea of the Oasis is this sure. digital lifestyle has these digital images and, and that works okay. The, what uh, I immediately thought, if you want to explore more about this, maybe a little more sinister level, mm-hmm. maybe Caprica, uh, based on the um, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica universe. The prequel to Battlestar Galactica, where they're living on the planet and they have this virtual reality world that they enter into. Yeah, Sure, sure. And, and that's a little darker. I really enjoyed that series on mm-hmm. it. And uh, I... I'm really glad we had this uh, discussion because I feel much better about this movie. I do too. Thanks. And Tom. I would say, uh, I would just add, if you want, if you really want to go darker, uh, go see the Lawnmower Man. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. That one doesn't hold up. The graphics on that one are certainly <laughs> 1980s graphics. That one does not hold up. But the storyline. I think there. he looks. He looks scarier now. I think now he's all like you know. The pixelized and right, he's even scarier. Eight bit. <laughs> there's there's a another example of great writing turned into a an interesting enough movie. That's a Stephen King novel, and uh, yeah. it works out. I think it was a short well. story. Right, short story. Yeah. All right, so Steve, that was not the only movie you got to see this week. Tell us, and you know what, 
it sounds like Tal got to see this too. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Rogers and Me from uh, 2010. Yeah, this is a documentary made by a filmmaker named Benjamin Wagner, who was a neighbor, a real honest-to-God neighbor of Mr. Rogers. We all... I think have some great memories of who Mr. Rogers was. Steve, we got people who probably don't know who Mr. Rogers is. I'm sure there's some younger listeners to Too Much Scrolling who have no idea who Fred Rogers was. So if you were in maybe the late 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s... All the way up um, until 2001. All right, so there was a children's program on PBS Mm -hmm. by Fred Rogers. Mm Mm-hmm. If you don't know who he is, he's probably one of the the, uh, the kindest gentlemen you'll, you'll probably ever see. He is on the level with the Dalai Lama in terms of his level of kindness and sincerity and his ability to share life lessons with people. Okay. So tell us a little bit about this documentary. This is a beautiful look at the neighborhood that Fred Rogers lives in, in Nantucket. Is that right? And he... He befriends this family next door and this young man who is enamored with the the idea of who Fred Rogers is gets to know him on a real personal level and realizes that he really is that guy that we all met on PBS. Fred Rogers was an honest, real person who decided to make a television show. You know, I'm originally Israeli. I came to the States when I was uh, about 10 and a half. Okay. And part of it, Part of my ESL program uh, at school was, you know, and I don't know if they still do this, is they basically would make you watch uh, PBS shows like, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and, and Sesame Street, and you would record yourself repeating things that were said on the show. And then they would, they, the linguistics teachers would play back your stuff to try to get rid of your accent. Wow. And so if somebody who's a linguistics expert studied my speech, they'd probably say that I'm a good hybrid of Big Bird and Mr. Rogers. <laughs> uh, when I speak, uh, but no, I, I watch a ton of Mr. Rogers, and I always, you know, one of the things that was always amazing to me about him is how calm his demeanor was, and how patient he was with kids and in explaining things. And as a person who was new to this country, who didn't have a mastery of the English language, hearing someone take his time and explain things, and and um, not rush, not rush through anything, and really go over the words and the meaning of the words, and why those words have that meaning, and, and it really was uh, profound and sincere. And he was so yeah, sincere, sincere in all of that. It was not an act in any way, and, right. and and I think the children watching that program really feel that. All right, so I've got a question just on this movie. What um, besides just being a genuine person? What insight did you get from this movie? The big theme of this movie, I think, is is looking at Mister Rogers and his use of silence, quiet, contemplative moments. Okay, that is the end of this movie. Is is the filmmaker says, "Let's think about that for twenty seconds." Okay. I'll watch the time. So we're going to come back to that theme because we have our book it coming up. Mm-hmm. It's also based on Mr. Rogers. So that that right there is called foreshadowing. That's right. All right. So we did foreshadowing. Excellent. So we we should get down to our uh, Stacy Shaw, and she sent us a a wonderful review of Blockers. Yes, I think that's that's the strongest change in a show we can ever do is go from Mr. Rogers to a movie called Blockers about kids having sex. Excellent. <laughs> Good job. Good transition. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm in rainy old England and I have a film blog called Special Features with Stacy Shaw if you want more of my film thoughts. So, Blockers wasn't what I was expecting. 
closer in tone to Superbad and Bridesmaids than American Pie. It manages to balance raunchy humour, some ludicrous and pretty gross situations, and well-written clever dialogue to create a coming-of-age prom night comedy everyone can enjoy. The worldly feminist bent of the teen girls' dialogue is not only refreshing, but also laugh-out-loud funny. It's also better than that, completely accurate. There are some seriously good lines that will stick with you when you leave the cinema. John Senna is adorably priceless, as this overprotective father who ends up in the wackiest situations in his struggle to stop his teenage daughter having sex. But really, there are no weak links in the casting here. And between the brilliant cast and the whip-smart script, blockers will have you howling with laughter from start to finish. And then, Chip, you got to see a, a very different movie, too. You got to see Take Your Pills. This is on Netflix. This is about the rise of Adderall and those types of um, drugs mm -hmm. and how they have an uh, impact on society uh, and how, young, how many young kids are currently on these drugs. And they're kind of like... Uh, this is the beginning of creating like the super thinker. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, or you've ever taken a, a drug like this, but it sounds like it's, it creates incredible focus. And if your kid is, uh, I'm sorry, if your child is uh, said to have hyperactivity or attention deficit disorder or something of that nature, it's very likely they will be assigned this type of prescription. Uh, at one time, it was to pep you up and all this other stuff, but boy, it, it's, um, this is an exploration of whether that's a good thing. And uh, many of the, the children who were on these drugs did experience, well, I'm sorry, felt they experienced higher um, productivity, and uh, you know, the parents were happy because the kids were focusing and all that. But many of them are abandoning those and going back to a sort of a natural state mm. because there are health challenges to using this, liver being one of those. And this is an exploration of uh, you know, artists and children and college students basically using it as a, a prescription and then you know, finding it on the open market, looking for some Addy, as they would call it. <laughs> if you're a parent... Uh, and this is something of interest to you, or your child is being asked to, to go on this, I would say, suggest you look at it. This is certainly not a, um, this is bad or this is good. It's more of a history of it with some of those, uh, the badness and the goodness thrown in there. I, I like this. So it's pretty measured in its conclusions. It comes to no big conclusion about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I, we get a lot of the young people, and these are kids who grew up taking this, I mean, for long, for years. Um, many of those are abandoning those types of drugs. They, they, they feel that's, that it's not an authentic way of looking at things. And you know, they, they can show some of the, um, the demands of today's society. So when we talk about Mr. Rogers being uh, calm, measured, the question you, you, you leave this movie asking yourself, is modern American society natural? Is, is, is this demand for... Um, success on such a major level like you must perform at the highest level every moment in time is that a reasonable expectation and I, I think you may I don't know maybe maybe it's me being an older person now looking at it perspective yeah it's all about perspective it may, it may change how you look at this yeah tell do you have anything to add about uh, Adderall yeah I mean what's funny is is that um my my roommate in college was on on Adderall and um you know I've taken it a couple of times Specifically because I'd ha you know I'd have to crash for these like really I was doing you know computer science classes and I had to like really crash on you know 
uh, before before taking these major tests, and it helped a lot with focus for sure. I mean, my my natural attention is probably I could probably read something technical for like in a, for two hours, and then my mind starts just to turn into goop, mm-hmm. and then you need a break. And I knew whenever I took Adderall, I was able to sit down for like six, seven hours at a time, you know, and just absorb material and all like in a very, very focused way. Uh, you know, but it's funny because it's funny the way you, you, you I think there's actually a lot of value to juxtaposing that uh, against uh, the Mr. Rogers ethos, because you're right. You know, there's a lot of value to also just meditating and taking the moment and really appreciating the moment. And the question is, like, are we trying to cram too much? you know too much information into too little time is the information that we feel like we have to have and we have to know uh unreasonable for the amount of time we give ourselves to absorb it and know it it's a deep question um, and, I, and i think that's really when you look at like startup culture and, and the valley which is you know i i can't i started a few companies and and one of the reasons i moved to michigan from california is because i felt like that culture was not really uh conducive to what i perceive to be a good life and so I'm on kind of both sides of the fence. I think there's times in life where in order to be successful in society, you have to get a certain number of things done. And, you know, if, if that means taking a pill to to get it done, then maybe that's okay as long as it doesn't become a lifestyle, you know. I, I, but it's, it's a difficult opinion to have. Like, I, I'm, you know, I've got two young kids. I've got an eight-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl. And I really would prefer for them not to ever have to take drugs in order to be uh, in order to to accomplish be an accomplished citizen in society. So, do you help them find quiet time? Is that a part of your parenting of those young girls? So, what we do actually, uh, and I really enjoy this, is we take around an hour, and we talk, or it could be talking, or we could just sit around silently, or you know they can read, but there's no distractions. No, we call it no tech. It's a tech-free hour. Right. So uh, no phones, no TV, no whatever, and we just sit together. And there's no pressure to like, you know, if they don't feel like talking about their day at school or whatever, that's fine. But we just we're we're trying to create like a sort of uh, some time to sort of just absorb the universe and be be with your family, be with yourself. Decompress, that, yeah. yeah. Anchor yourself. That's a good point. Yeah. Awesome. Opening this week, we got a couple of movies that are trying to sneak in before Infinity. War. Everybody has to get in real quickly. Real quick. Everybody everybody in real quick. The first one is called Borg versus McEnroe. This is not a Star Trek movie. <laughs> it's about tennis, Steve. This is the tennis story from the 1980s when Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe had a match and the boy are they two different people. They are. This looks pretty this looks good. I look forward to seeing this. Shia LaBeouf as John McEnroe. There you go. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Let's move on to Rampage. This is the video game turned movie, you know, where you could be Godzilla or King Kong or the big werewolf and punch the buildings. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, once again, is going to light up the screen, and I have high expectations after Jumanji. Well, is there a, 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 more, a person who's in more demand than Dwayne Johnson? I don't think so. I think he is. He, his he, star is really high right now. He's the action star. He's the children's star. He's pretty much everything. He's adorable. He's he's strong. He, he's got a lot going for him. Okay. The Isle of Dogs is opening wider this week. It opened a couple of weeks ago, but you can probably find it a little bit easier this weekend. This is another Wes Anderson stop action 
so, animation film. Yes, and Wes Anderson's known for sort of the odd setups yes. on how, how he uh, frames <laughs> yes. the uh, the screen. So the odd setup on this one is the dogs are talking, and they all have American accents, but this takes place in Japan, and all the children are Japanese, and the main child's name is Atari. There this is go. bizarre. If well, you love Wes Anderson, you'll love this. This looks good. I look forward to seeing this. There is a thriller called Truth or Dare coming out. Tell it, me about that It one. looks kind of scary, Steve. Scary. There's a Truth or Dare. This, this, is, is, this is the teen scary movie of the week. This is not the Madonna movie. This is not. That's a different Truth or Dare. Justify my love right there. <laughs> now, this looks, um, this looks nice and scary. Nice and scary for those of you who are going for the scary movies. Now, we also have Netflix. Netflix yes. is setting you up, babe. I'm ready. I am ready for the reboot of Lost in Space. It's coming on Friday to Netflix. It is 10 episodes and uh, Parker Posey is featured. Danger it- Will Robinson. <laughs> is that your Shatner? That's, I do my best. That's not Shatner. Oh my goodness. But anyway, Dr. Smith is Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith. Oh. Dr. Smith. Parker Posey is playing Dr. Smith. This is a gender swap. This is the uh, the unlikable person mm-hmm. who's, who's kind of charming. Maybe the one who causes all the problems. That's the way it was originally, was Dr. Smith was the one who started the whole problem of this family being lost in space. And of course you have uh, Robbie the Robot somewhere. Somewhere. There's going to be a robot in there somewhere. I, I'm, I have not looked at the previews. I have not looked at anything. I am excited for Lost in Space. Listen, you have Netflix. You might as well turn it on. This fun there you go there's there's your selling point book it 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 so our book it this week is is a is a book about Mr. Rogers. This is a biography of sorts. It's called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. This is this was written in 2005 by Amy Hollingsworth, and it, I got the audiobook, the 10th anniversary edition, th- that was put out in 2015. And when you put it on our, our show notes that we were going to discuss it this week, I, I, I started reading it too, Steve. We went down this weird Mr. Rogers rabbit hole. I saw this documentary. It just popped up in Amazon Prime for me as a suggestion. And I said, ah, I've, I've got nothing to do. I'll watch this documentary. And then I went, you know what? I like the idea of studying Mr. Rogers. And I went and found this book. All right. So this book is unique in the sense that we're not discussing Mr. Rogers, the program. I mean, the program's kind of in the background. Right. We're going into an area that he certainly didn't spend a lot of time divulging to the public. Mm-hmm. And sort of that, that's a spiritual message or his, his who, you know, what um, sort of the backbone of what he was thinking when he was trying to communicate with children and in developing his children's program. Right. Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister who had no church. He decided that the right place to go is where the kids were and to use this new idea of television to share his message. And for those of you who are not familiar with Presbyterian is, it's just a form of Christianity. Okay. And um, usually when you get your ordained as a minister or something, you're given a charge. Like this is, you know, you are to take on this church or you mm-hmm. are to do this. And his really was. It was children's television as as what is his uh, goal to, to work on. Um, the author said that they had to work real hard um, 
to, to he he was he wanted to make sure that she was true to what she was trying to trying to capture his the spiritual message mm-hmm. of, uh, of of who he is um, certainly was something that could be twisted or turned against him. He was looking to connect to young people. It didn't matter really what your faith was, right? So, uh, or if you had faith at all, the, the deal was to to recognize that you are a person. Uh-huh. Because you're a person, you're a valuable member of society. Because you're a valuable member of society, I'm willing to take time to work with you in a very measured way. It's so beautiful. The stories that are told in this book about how he interacted with people and how he gave his time and devoted that moment to being in the room with that person, to not be distracted by anything else, to be focused on you and who you are. That's a that's a beautiful message. There are there are tons of stories about Mr. Rogers running into people, a driver here or or a neighbor or something of that nature. And then immediately having a deep enough connection that he wrote to them often. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had deep connections to a lot of people. And like I said, handwritten note, written notes. Um, before he passed away, it sounds like that he had someone type out a note, which was very unique. Um, and in fact, she said that he, he made sure he signed his name. Yeah. I can't remember the final sentence he put on there, but he wrote it down. But it was something that pertained to his relationship with her. And we can learn so much from that. We can learn so much from having relationships on a deep level. The The beautiful thing about life is the people that you meet in a lot of ways. I am so about community. I'm so about meeting people. We had so much fun at Indiana Comic Con meeting new people. All right, so Steve, tell me a little bit about what you learned about, once again, his spiritual life, not not his programming. That, right. That, that was... You know, that you did not know or that was unique, uh, something that, that grabbed you. My favorite quote, and I put it in the show notes, this is a man who, to paraphrase the words of St. Francis of Assisi, preached the gospel at all times. When necessary, he used words. He showed us what a good life would look like. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about spirituality. It was about being a person, being valuable. And I I felt that as a child. I knew that this man found me valuable. Even though we never actually met, I felt like I knew him. Well, in fact, I think that is, is something I'm going to articulate maybe a little bit differently, is that you know, whether, whether you're, you're um, a person of faith or, or not, it doesn't really matter. When you're working with other people's people, you can think of yourself as the mirror of God. You are reflecting or trying to reflect you know, your conversation, your, your communication with another to, to, to recognize that, that you could be that person who could make a difference. You, you can empower people or you can crush people. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, that you are going to be, you're the future. Um, you're valuable. You, you, um, I like you the way you are. Yeah. I like taking time to, to show you the message. Enjoy being here with you. Sure. Yeah. And, and just recognizing also that life goes on around you. There are, there are tragedies that, in life mm-hmm. um, that are they're going all around you. But to, to, you know, his, his favorite message on that, when you see a tragedy on television, look for the helpers. I mean, think about the, the meaning Beautiful. of that. Yeah. It basically says things happen. Look for the people who are going to help make things better. Who, you're the, you could be the glue that holds society together just, just by being strong in a moment when you can't be strong. Tal, in your industry, do you, do you think of things like that when you're in the room with people and doing your business? And do you, do you consider the humanity of people? 
I'll give you a more specific example. One of the things that I really focus on in my job is female empowerment. Okay. And having been in the industry for a long time, I noticed that, like, you know, a lot of times, and this isn't like an absolute rule, but like, you know, that that uh, I would notice in having meetings that, that women, you know, wouldn't speak up or, you know, uh, were shyer, you know, than men. And so, like, what I try to do is create an atmosphere where everyone feels they've had an appropriate opportunity to speak and be heard. What that fosters is them feeling respected and also them hearing others. And, fr- and I always wait. You'll see if you, ever, if you guys ever have a meeting with me, I, I'm the last one to speak. I'll, I'll I really to, let me write that down yeah, because no, I'm, I'm terrible at that. Needs to- <laughs> <laughs> well, because uh, honestly, like it's, you know, I, I really, it's not, I will rarely, you know, I will walk into a room with a position. Nobody can be truly unbiased when they walk into any room with it, where a decision has to be made um, or a discussion or any sort of debate. But you know, one of the things I try to do is, you know, how, how do I train people on on you know uh, evolving or advancing their career? And I think that the number one thing I've learned from uh, uh, the people who have, who have sort of mentored me in my career is that the more time you spend listening the better decisions you ultimately make. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to adhere to the suggestions that others give you or to others' opinions. It means you have to respect them. Listening is where you can learn more than spouting off your own idea, your own perspective. It's all about perspective for me. And yes, listening to others' perspectives, seeing through other people's eyes is the best thing that I can do when I'm in my classroom. And the, the great part of that is you don't always have all the answers, but you can let somebody's imagination kind of help shape those those solutions because mm-hmm. maybe they have a more practical solution than you have. Maybe they're the Mary Sue that has the answer. They, they know it. That, that's the one you're looking for right you're there, looking, Steve. <laughs> any kid that I meet named Mary Sue, I know that she has the answers. I have been in the room with the Dalai Lama. I have been in the room with John Cleese, and I was in the room with Mr. Rogers. So, so basically the same person. Those are very similar. <laughs> John Cleese might be the outlier on that, but certainly he talks about our humanity in a different way, from a different perspective. But yes, my sister's graduation from Marquette University in 2001, Mr. Rogers was the commencement speaker and we were enthralled and enraptured listening to this man speak we all as a group of people in our 20s and 30s at the time knew this man and he spoke and there wasn't a dry eye in the house well in fact um in 1996 uh he spoke at north carolina state's uh commencement uh, as a commencement speaker mm-hmm. and there was a lot of controversy concerning it because you're having this children's host come in mm-hmm. but it immediately flipped. So building up the newspaper was 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 building up the controversy. How could you do this? You know, you're insulting all these engineers. But if you've seen a commencement speech, in fact, I encourage you to look that up on YouTube. In our show notes, I've got a, a version of his commencement speech. Yeah, you know, one of the first things he he does is he, he quiets everyone down, and then you know he asks you to think about a person who made a difference in your life, mm-hmm. and then. I think he says call them. Does he say call them? I think he says call them, yeah. So, so in the middle of his commencement speech, not only are you thinking about a person who made a difference in your life, he says, I'll wait. Uh-huh. 
And he waits. And he, and he asks you to mm-hmm. contact a person that made a difference in your life. Mm-hmm. And you can think about early Steve or early Tal or early Chip. And we can all think of someone who maybe allowed you to, to explore something that you, you normally wouldn't have been allowed to do. Right. And maybe it made a difference on, on how you look at life. And now that we're the adults, we can be the ones who give that to younger people. I Especially as a teacher, of course, I'm giving experiences to my students all the time. But we all have opportunities to share that idea with other humans. That's the power of mentorship. That, that ability to know when you're the Obi-Wan... And when you're the Luke Skywalker, that's right. And you, when, or the other part is just when you're just a person that's on the uh, the cruise. You're 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 not. You don't have any um, special role to play. You get to play your role. Every person can mm-hmm. be valuable. That's it. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I, I do suggest this book. Again, it is called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers by Amy Hollingsworth. You can find it on our Amazon store, Amazon.TooMuchScrolling.com. Scroll with it. So this Friday is Friday the 13th, Chip, and everybody's always afraid of Friday the 13th. Well, there's there's a history there, Steve. Yeah. There's a history. Numerology. Of, there's a history of taking out people on the 13th, right? <laughs> yeah. Fred Rogers really wanted children not to be afraid. And one of the things he did to help children not be afraid was he named King Friday, that puppet in the, the neighborhood. In he the was, land of make-believe. He was King Friday the 13th. So every Friday the 13th, you can celebrate King Friday's birthday because it's every Friday the 13th. Which is, that's just a wonderful, beautiful message. Tal, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been wonderful talking to you. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to, uh, uh, at least, if, if not totally shift your perspective on Ready Player One, to at least uh, help you enjoy it a little bit more. And uh, I really appreciate you guys giving me the uh, time to make my point. <laughs> and, if, and if you haven't had a chance to read the Punch Ash Scroll or listen to the Punch Ash Scroll, oh. it's available on Audio, audio uh, Bowl too. Yeah. Um, both uh, are available in our show notes. You can you just follow the link and you can read it. It's a it's a wonderful uh, book. If you if you've read Ready Player One, this is a, a, a wonderful follow up. What do you have to say to those listeners of ours who didn't listen to me when I said that it was my favorite book of 2017 and and pitch us on the Punch Escrow just real quick? It's a book about teleportation and duality and sense of self, and uh, it takes it takes place in uh, the year 2147. And I think it's a really fun read if you like uh, if you like audiobooks in particular. The book is narrated by Matt Mercer uh, from Critical Role, nice. uh, and if you don't, even if you don't like the idea of the book, you should really listen to him narrate the book. He does a very classic style radio drama presentation. He created a voice for every single character in the book. Mm-hmm. He, you even get to hear him sing uh, Karma Chameleon. So uh, <laughs> the I, pro- I might like the audio book even better than the actual book. There's there's something to be said about performance as opposed to reading, and then certainly a different way of experiencing that wonderful adventure of the punch escrow. And we also need to thank Stacy Shaw, who actually sent us a review. If you've got a review of a movie, yeah, 
Don't be shy. Yeah, send it to send us. It a, send it to us. We'd love to hear your review of any movies that you see, any books that you read. We we love hearing from you. You have a cell phone. You can call and leave a message. That's right. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Call, leave a message. We probably will play it on the show. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think, Chip? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us. If you need more information, give us a call or go a text. Too much scroll at gmail.com our website is too much scrolling.com we're on twitter and instagram and facebook we're on itunes and stitcher and tune in radio and every day of the week you can go to our news site news.too much scrolling.com want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling i'm steve foder i'm chip Hessenflow. we'll see you in the future I just